Hello and welcome to this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. In this week's edition, Ricky Fowler is a PGA Tour winner once again. We break down how he did it and if he's now here to stay. Tiger Woods breaks his silence, kind of, uh, while Live Golf officials and players continue to stress that it is full steam ahead. And the best women in the world take center stage at none other than Pebble Beach. Rex, uh, about two months ago, you played some god-awful golf. Uh, at one of America's most iconic venues. Uh, what are you most looking forward to this week at the U.S. Women's Open for the first time being played at Pebble Beach? I, I love the legacy of it. I think I, we talked about this last week, just the idea that the U.S. Women's Open is being held now pretty much at the same venues as the Men's Open. I mean, you, you have Pinehurst, Pebble Beach is a good start. I'd like to see this continue. I'd like to see it make the full rotation. Like I'd love to see a Women's Open at, let's say, a Beth Page or an Oakmont or an Oak Hill or something along those lines. But the part I'm looking forward to the most is, as you pointed out, I played some god-awful golf, and I just dug that scorecard up. Man, I'm not sure if you can see it. It's, a, it's an audio medium, but for those who watch visually – uh, and it's, uh, I'm not going to show you the score, but it was not good. Cause we played, it was definitely in the hundreds, correct? <sighs> yeah, probably. Yeah. That was a tough day. What's, what's funny is when people ask me that on those back-to-back days, I actually played so much better at LACC than I did at Pebble beach and Pebble. I mean, the wind was howling that day and making the point that I'm making right now, we played from the same yardage that the women will play this week. And you never do that. We always talk about, Oh, I, I played that golf course, the LACC. I played the LACC. You played a, what, a month and a half, two months ago? That wasn't the LACC that the men played for the U.S. Open. In this particular case, it's much, much closer, I think, to what we'll see this week for the women. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was, was it 60? Oh, that's a big number. I just looked at it. 700 yards, something for, uh, I, I, I played the women's tees as well. I, I found it incredibly enjoyable. I mean, it's just such a familiar golf course to a lot of fans, and that's, that's why I, th- I think it's really important what the USGA is doing, bringing uh, their oldest, their most prestigious championships to venues that are iconic, that do represent some of America's best courses. I, the, the venues on which these players win their majors matters. And so to have it at Pebble, to have it at Oakmont, to have it at Pinehurst, uh, that, are, that are so familiar to fans, they, they recognize the hole, they recognize the shot value, they, sh- they recognize how difficult it is uh, to traverse that golf course i think is incredibly important i'm obviously rex most looking forward to seeing rose zang she might be 45th in the rolex rankings but you could make a very strong argument that she is already a top five or top three player in the world she won her first start at liberty national uh she was within a shot of the lead at the women's pga championship ended up ended up finishing a joint eighth there just a couple of shots off the lead obviously jin young ko uh, the world number one has established herself as the preeminent player once again in 2023. But you look at everyone else who's at that upper echelon. Nelly Korda has won once in the past two seasons. Lydia Ko uh, hasn't won on the LPGA in 2023. Lilia Vu hasn't do much, done much since uh, her, her win at the Chevron Championship. Bruning Yin uh, obviously won the Women's PGA Championship. She's been kind of hit or miss in her very young career. Minji Lee, the U.S. Women's Open champion from last year, has not won since that title. And so there's an opportunity for Rosang over these next couple of months, over these next couple of starts uh, to kind of, I guess, solidify what we already know that she's a generational talent, that she's already among the best players. And every time she tees it up, she's a legitimate threat to win. And so I think on the week that Michelle, we is bidding adieu uh, to the U S women's open and to competitive golf, uh, we're certainly welcoming in a new star in prime time on one of America's most iconic venues. 
I have to admit that I do not pay attention to women's golf closely enough, uh, given the fact that I, I'm in the golf industry. In my defense, I have to spend a lot of time t- paying attention to lawsuits recently. So I'm, I'm even men. Apparently not people. enough. De- Desert Duffer says enough. you are not. No. Uh, no, he did not name me. Don't, don't throw me under that bus. I did not get called out. I wanted nothing to do with any of that. We'll get to that later. But you have been on Rose's bandwagon for a long, long time. Maybe over a year now. I mean, I'll, yeah. Like, I'm, not sure, I'll I'm not sure it's a bandwagon. This is like, this is like a Tiger yacht. This is, this is a Carnival cruise ship. I mean, there's, there, are, okay. there, are plenty of, there are plenty of seats, and they have been occupied for a very long time. And, I mean, this goes back probably to not this year's Anwar, but last year's Anwar, right? I mean, I think that's when you started beating the drum, if I remember correctly, right? Uh, that sounds about right. I mean, she's, she's played in every edition uh, of the Augusta National Women's Amateur. She kicked it away uh, a couple of times, and this year was uh, she, actually finally, she actually finally won the title. But, like, she's literally won everything that there is to win. A girls' junior, a girls' PGA, a U.S. amateur, um, uh, two NCAA championships, the Anwar, like, this is this is not a stretch to say that she was going to be a great player. She's just doing everything that we thought was possible for her. I, it, but it's that verbal blabbering. It, it's just your verbal resumes that you have to run through every single time you you introduce her that you talk about her. Like now, all of a sudden, I'm interested. Like I'm I'm going to watch this week just because I'm curious. First, how the golf course plays by comparison to what we've seen in the past, and two. Because as you pointed out, and I think we've, she's kind of proven at a very early point in her career, she's this generational talent that you don't see very often in any sport. Not even golf, not even women's golf, not even men's golf, just in sports in general. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And I, I don't know that I'm on the bandwagon or the train or, or the tugboat, whatever it is you want to call it. But I'm, I'm definitely a fan. Uh, she is must-see TV, at least at this point in her career, until, until she has proven otherwise that she is a legitimate threat to win every single time that she tees it up to me. Uh, if you have a viewing option, if you have a viewing choice this week, are you going to watch the John Deere classic on the PG tour? Or are you going to watch the U S women's open at both. Pebble beach? Uh, well, the answer might be both because they're going to be at different time slots. Uh, but I'm choosing the U S women's open every single time. I absolutely cannot wait to see what Rose does. She doesn't do anything extraordinarily well. She's not the longest hitter. She's not the most accurate iron player. Uh, she's not the best putter uh, But boy, does she manage her game? Well, uh, and I, I honestly do think that Rose Zhang, even at the ripe age of 20, uh, she has a, a chance to win uh, this U.S. Women's Open. Sherry does hold the competitive course record at Pebble Beach with a 63. All right, Rex, there was a big movement, uh, arguably, arguably one of the stories of the year. Obviously, it's the, 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 non, the non-golf competitive story of the year is what's going on with the PGA Tour. Uh, and the Saudi stuff, and we'll certainly get into that. But one of the stories of the year in 2023, golf-wise, competitive-wise, has been the resurgence of Ricky Fowler. He has been uh, certainly trending upward, had a chance to win uh, the U.S. Open, among myriad other chances in 2023. Finally got it done in a playoff at the Rocket Mortgage Classic over Adam Hadwin and Colin Morikawa. Birdied the 72nd hole in regulation, and then after a terrible tee shot in overtime, stuffed it to 12 feet, and then poured in the putt. I loved the reaction. There wasn't like this guttural scream. There wasn't this enthusiastic fist pump. Like it was just like, oh. yeah, just, just a, just a sigh of relief. What do you think this victory, the sixth of Ricky's career first since 2019 meant to him? And what do you think it means moving forward? I thought it was funny. Someone on Twitter right after he won asked kind of just, I don't even know if it was rhetorically, but what is Ricky looking at? Is you right? Cause he kind of just stared to the heavens. And the only thing I could think of was 
all of those expectations, like all of those things that had weighed on him for so long, sort of during the down times. And it, it's funny, like you're, you're right. This has been the competitive story of the year simply because we have sit, sat and watched him fight his way out of this. Unlike really, I mean, it's hard for me to find a, a good comp on this because I don't know that there has been a high profile player of Ricky's caliber who has hit rock bottom so thoroughly and fought his way back through a 185 variety. in the world, Rex, but right, not that look, long ago. And there's been plenty of comebacks. I mean, I guess Hendrick Stinson was, was the one I thought of because there was a time when twice. after. Yeah, I mean, there was he did it twice. Exactly. And he I think he got below 180 if, if, uh, in the world, if I saw correctly. But I don't know that Henrik was at Ricky's level either one of those times. Now, competitively, absolutely he was. He, he won a major championship. He won a FedEx Cup. All of those things that we use to gauge players. But just from a popularity standpoint, if you look at the microscope that he was under, Tiger Woods is the only comp in my mind there simply because, and Tiger had injury issues he could fall back on. Ricky had none of that. He had to face it. He had to shoulder it. He had to sort of fight his way back piece by piece. I, I, I'll keep going back to the conversation that I had with Butch Harmon, his swing coach, at the U.S. Open. And Butch goes, look, the swing's been good for a really, really long time, right? really ever since last fall. He said it didn't take long for all of these changes because we went back to a lot of things that he did when he was younger to, quote, unquote, bad end. He goes, the hard part for him is getting rid of all that baggage getting rid of all that bad play over all those years and all that doubt. That's the hardest part. It's been such a fascinating study and how mental this game can be. I mean, think about where Ricky Fowler was 11 months oh, ago. Fine. He was 185th in the world. Getting over pneumonia, everyone. Officially. Yes. Mia culpa. Uh, I've had pneumonia for the past two months. I'm now recovering. Uh, and soon I was glad. Out. I'm glad I sat next to you for one of those weeks. That's, that's awesome that you're telling me now. Very good. It's, it's fine. I didn't hawk any phlegm on your uh, keyboard. Uh, he was you most certainly did. Sure. Think about this, Rex. Eleven months ago, he was 185th in the world. He just fired John Tillery, his swing coach. He just fired Joe Scavrin, his trusty caddy of more than a dozen years. Um, I think back to the BMW Championship with that players-only meeting when he flew up from Palm Beach with Tiger. He wasn't invited because because Ricky Fowler was one of the best players in the world. He didn't even qualify the second playoff event. He was invited there because of his fan appeal and he was important and important. And he was friends with a lot of those guys in the room. I think at that moment, it was easy to think that Ricky Fowler's career was on life support. He was going to play in some of these marquee events that the PJ tour was cooking up just because of sponsor exemptions or other avenues that they could create for him. But it seemed like at that point, his best days of his career we're behind them. I always think back to, you know, Butch Harmon saying famously, you know, Ricky, do you want to be a Kardashian or do you want to be a, a professional golfer? And everything is kind of conspiring against Ricky at this point. When you look at last fall, he was 34 years old. He had not been playing well. He was now a husband. He was now a father. He was so far removed from being an elite player. It just seemed like he was going to just kind of fade into the abyss at that point. And he'd be fine. He has untold millions that he could fall back on. And so I think you have to give an immense amount of credit to Ricky. He has always been known as golf's pretty boy, and yet he has done the dirty work in becoming a great player once again, regardless of what the OWGR says. Like Data Golf has Ricky Fowler as, as a six-ranked player in the world right now. It's inarguable the type of golf that he's playing is the best of his career. And yes, he's won a player's championship. Yes, he's top five in all four major championships in a single season. This is the best Ricky Fowler's ever played. And at this age, 
with where we were 11 months ago, uh, I think it's nothing short of remarkable. Well, I remember going back to last year, and it was the playoff event in Memphis. And uh, I talked to him on Sunday. He had teed off early. And it was about something entirely different. Actually, in, in the, the silly world we live in, I think I was actually talking about slow play at the time. And I didn't even look to see what he had done on the last hole. And if I remember correctly, he either made a seven on triple. the last hole or an eight. He made triple. And like we sat and talked for 20 minutes uh, on the record, and then we sat and talked for another 20 minutes off the record about whatever, family, kids, and then he just moved on. It wasn't until I got back to the media center that I just kind of looked and see what had happened on the 18th hole. I don't know another player in the game that would do that. I mean, even Rory, who I, I think in the past has been very, very good with the media that has changed over the last few months, w- would never do that. If he finished with a triple, he was not going to talk to anyone for a long time. In my mind, it shows you how far he had come not really as a golfer, because again, I, I think he was always sort of that player inside, even as he went through these struggles with John Tillery and everything else that he went through. But as a person, and I think he's talked a little bit about that recently, where he sort of opened himself up that he had never really done before, that he was just a better father, a better husband, a better friend, whatever the case may be. As bad as those times were, I think he'll look back probably five years from now and say he kind of needed that to get his career back on track. Yeah, and it's... He's always said, like, the golf, golf there is was a mute one button. part. It's the red one. It's right there on your screen. I take that back, Rex. He didn't make a triple. He made a centuple bogey. Oh, yeah. He made a yeah, nine. I knew, it was a big, I knew it was a big number. Made a nine and shot 72 that day, uh, which goes to show you. He is, he is always capable of making a lot of birdies. But, boy, he can, he can make big ones uh, uh, with, with the best of them. Like, the golf was the only part of Ricky Fowler's life that wasn't going well. He obviously is incredibly popular among the fans, has remained. He has remained so. Uh, he's always been good with us in the media. Um, he has, a, has a, a beautiful wife, a great kid. Like, everything in his life is going great except golf. That makes it a little bit easier, right, because it's not like you're depending on golf. But it also makes it harder. This is the one thing he's defined his life over for the past 15 or 20 years and that's not going well. So I, I just think it's a testament to he's – I think he's a little bit grittier. I think he's a little bit tougher. Um, I think he's a little bit more stubborn than perhaps we gave him credit for. I think it's easy to dismiss him. Uh, but Ricky Fowler, um, to his credit, uh, has worked his way all the way back. I do remember, Rex, last week for our Golf Today hit, you and I bandied that about – run. <laughs> that did not – you know what? That did not run. It, yep. We have video that evidence that we run. did it, but it did not yes. run, unfortunately. Hmm. Well, here's a hmm. folks, here's a here's a peek behind the curtain. We did a golf today <laughs> hit that apparently did not run. Uh asking which players on the Ryder Cup bubble needed to show up over these next two months. You picked, I believe, Ricky Fowler, and I picked Colin Morikawa. Hmm. That performance uh in Detroit moved Ricky to, I believe, number twelve. Uh, in the rankings, obviously the top six are going to be exempt. Colin Morikawa uh, also um, has moved up to number nine. I said last week in, in a segment that did not air that, that Ricky was a lock. I think he was 16th at the time, moved from 16th to 12th. I said, like, he's, he's a lock. You look at the way that he's played, you look at his strokes game metrics, now. look at his popularity in the, yeah. in, the, in the team room. He was a lock at that time. Are you finally changing your tune that, that yeah, he's a, he's a lock now at this point at number 12? Yeah, he's a lock now. He wasn't a lock last week. I mean, he was. Still, he was. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. Look, you, no, you're not going to – if he's 16th on the list, go down the list. I mean, that, my, my argument last week was 1 through 12, 
probably fit right into what Zach Johnson wants to do with this year's team. So the, the idea that he was going to make the stretch and go all the way to 16th, which, okay, take the last week out of it. I mean, again, this goes back to a week in time and take the last week out of it. I, I don't see him passing over all of those players he needed to pass over to get to Ricky. It's not as though they didn't want Ricky on that team or that he wouldn't have been a good pick. Clearly he's going to be, he's probably going to be a good pick or he's going to earn his way onto the team. One of the two now, but at that time, I just looked at one through 12 top six are already locked in. And then the next six, I had a hard time coming up with a scenario. Well, why wouldn't I, I believe Tony Finau was number eight. If I remember correctly, going back to last week, he's not passing over Tony Finau to go to Ricky Fowler. The guys who, at least as of last week and potentially still uh, as of this week are kind of in that trouble spot are like a Cameron Young who's been slumping for the past several months. Uh, Sam Burns hasn't done a whole lot other than his victory uh, at the match play. Justin Thomas obviously just missed his third cut in his last four starts. It's hard to see him being left off the team as well. My, my basis of saying Ricky was a lock, even though he was 16th was a, you look at a strokes game metric. Like he's, he's been a top 10 player in the world. Uh, regardless of which tour he's playing on. And so that's important. And I think if you looked at just, we don't have access to this, uh, Zach Johnson and his data team would, if you look at just the amount of points accrued in the year 2023, in other words, the players who are banking the most points and are in the best form this year when the Ryder Cup matches are going to be played, Ricky Fowler would be higher than 16th, right? Like he's, he's basically at that position based on what happened last year as well when points were available and Ricky Fowler was playing uh, some dreadful golf. That's no longer the case. But if you looked at the past six months on the PGA Tour and the amount of points that he had earned, uh, I guarantee he would be in a better spot than 16th. Now I think it's kind of a moot point. Barring some sort of injury, barring some sort of horrific slump uh, over these next couple of months, he's going to be in Rome. Uh, he's always kind of been uh, criticized as that player who could get you a half point. He might not get you the full point, but but no one have matches or tied matches. I guess now is the parlance uh, that Ricky than, than Ricky Fowler. Uh, but he's he's so easy to partner with. He makes a gazillion birdies, as we've seen over these past couple of months, including at the U.S. Open, where he famously birdied eighteen of the first thirty six holes. Um, the dude uh, is going to be in Rome, uh, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, all right, Rex, let's transition to a guy who's not hitting shots, probably won't for the remainder of 2023. That is Tiger Woods. He broke his silence on this whole PGA Tour public investment fund uh, deal, but not in the way that you would think. He has still not actually commented on the deal. What he did comment on are this thirty, this 357-page data dump where uh, Desert Duffer, who we've already mentioned uh, on this podcast, found him uh, in court, and it was a, a lot about the, the PGA Tour DP World Tour takeover, at least potentially what they've been planning. But there was also a leaked document from this players meeting uh, in June 2022. Jay Monahan uh, was supposed to be addressing the players. And there was a, a scripted section for Tiger Woods in which he didn't just praise Jay Monahan's leadership, but he also invoked his son, uh, Charlie, and his future. Uh, he pushed back against the Saudis, which is now kind of awkward, uh, given the, the scenario that the, that the tour and the Saudis are now in. And Tiger Woods finally tweeted. And he tweeted, quote, in response to Talking Points memo released this weekend, I have never seen this document until today, and I did not attend the players' meeting for which it was prepared at the 2022 Travelers. That's it. Nothing on the framework agreement, nothing on the future of the PGA Tour, nothing on Jay Monahan, nothing on his thoughts. What should we make of this, Rex? Is this a big deal? 
Is this not a big deal? What are you kind of reading between the, uh, the tea leaves here? Oh, I don't think it's a big deal that he didn't address the framework agreement because I think like a lot of top players go back to the week it was announced. I mean, Rory was sort of left holding all of that water for the PGA tour and essentially said nothing either because he doesn't know anything. I mean, even now a few weeks down the road after we've already had a tour policy board, which that was clearly the conversation that they start talking about instead of a framework agreement, they have to start working towards the definitive agreement and they have just started that process. So no, I wouldn't imagine Tiger Woods was going to have anything to say on that front. As far as addressing the meeting, it is interesting that this lawsuit, it is ongoing and it is curious because I even, I heard from people in Tiger's camp that he'd never seen the memo and that he wasn't at the meeting. Just out of curiosity, I reached out to two or three players who were at the meeting and they made it clear that nope, Tiger was not there. And they said, actually, Jay's comments didn't even dovetail with what that memo said. So my guess is somewhere along the process, if it is a legitimate document and if it, if it was in the court record, you, you have a tendency to believe that it is not necessarily it's so, but you have a tendency. I guess that was some sort of working document that the tour yeah, was could have been a first could have been a first draft, could have yeah. been kind of a, a just like a script. So Jay Monahan, as opposed to maybe I, I would compare him on this front to let's say Mike Wan. Very good, you turned your head that time. Still the red button, mute button is right there. That would have made it a lot easier. Uh, Mike Wan is probably the best comparison here. You and I have spent time around Mike. We have seen Mike in press conferences. He talks very very fast. And he has a tendency to say 10 words when two words will probably do. And he does not have notes. He does, he does everything off the top of his head. Jay is the exact opposite from what I've been told by folks in Ponte Vedra, that he kind of needs stuff scripted out. So I would imagine that what you saw in those memos is similar to something that he would have gotten from his staff saying that, okay, these are the six things we want to address in this meeting. And there was nothing in that meeting or his comments that were necessarily explosive. We knew that he came out swinging against the Saudis. We knew that he was leaning into this legacy thing uh, oh, from the very, very beginning. It was their strategy. So I wouldn't even find that to be particularly, particularly exciting. I, I say the one thing that stood out is that they were hoping there was some sort of wish list item that Tiger would show up at this meeting and that he would lean in on the side of Jay Monahan as strongly as this memo makes it sound. Outside of that, this is just the tour's normal back and forth throughout this entire process. Yeah, and like, it's just kind of funny to think that, that Tiger Woods couldn't couldn't think on his own and needed some sort of prompt or some sort of script. Like, I I I fully believe that this was just like a working document, and it it probably was not for distribution among water. anyone other than like, take a drink of water. Yep, take a drink of water. I gotta say, I do. Yeah, no, I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and fill in for you on this one. The idea that someone's going to hand Tiger Woods talking points that may or may not be something that he wants to say or believes in is comical. It's no laughable. one does that. Laughable. No one does that in his own camp, and no one certainly at the PGA Tour would ever be able to hand him talking points and just expect him to be oh, okay. I'll adhere to this. That's not the way it works with Tiger Woods. With others, it works a little bit to that degree, but no, not with Tiger. But don't you think, I guess to a, to a larger point, Rex, don't you think it's been a little bit odd to not hear from Tiger on this point? What the would biggest he say? story in the game. What would the he biggest, say? The biggest name in the sport. Something. Literally just say anything. What? I mean, what? I'll go back literally, to the press conference. Literally just say anything. Say, I'm as surprised as anyone and look forward to seeing this shakeout. Literally just make some sort of public comment. The fact that he hasn't, after being so intimately involved with the Delaware, the Delaware meeting, uh, you, you know, obviously not as front-facing as a Roy or a JT in this space, but, but still, I mean, God, when, when, when Tiger Woods speaks, 
he has the power to, to, to bend decisions to his will or to, to shape policy. And the fact that he has not used it uh, is, is kind of shocking to me. Maybe, but he's never done that before. I mean, kind of the only example that we've seen of him doing that. But was what Delaware. better time than now? He's a, he's a, he's a non-factor competitively. He's not playing. Mm-hmm. Yes, would it be more impactful if he was still playing actively on the PGA Tour, playing 15 or 20 events? Yes, obviously. But he's still the most famous asset. No, I just don't, he's still I don't the biggest he, asset the PGA Tour has. No, he, he has nothing to gain from saying anything right now. Again, I'll go back to the Canadian Open when this sort of it had just gotten announced and clearly Roy McIlroy was caught flat-footed. There was nothing he could say. I mean, he kind of talked himself into circles and, and acknowledged that, look, this is putting me in a really, really bad position. Tiger would never do that to himself if he does not have to. If he doesn't have to get in front of reporters and answer uncomfortable questions, then don't expect him to do that. And again, it goes back to what is he going to say? I can tell you. From Literally just say him. anything. Literally say anything. Anything. He was, he was surprised as, this, uh, as we were, as everyone else was. So he might have had a little bit more of a heads up, maybe a day or two. But trust me, when this all landed, he was as shocked as anyone. And I'm sure the initial reaction was, I don't like this. Like, this is what we've been fighting for the last year. Tell me why I should suddenly be on board. I don't think anyone's gotten a good answer on that front. So, again, I have no problem whatsoever with Tiger keeping his silence until he knows more information. Does he like the framework agreement? Probably not. Give me a definitive agreement before I have to say anything. I think it's also not out of the realm of possibilities that he's still doing some back-channeling here. Right, like Roy McIlroy is as a member of the PGA Tour Policy Board, uh, is is has some influence, has some sway, has some power in what the definitive agreement is going to be. Tiger Tiger Woods and Roy McIlroy are very close. You would think that uh, Tiger has at least been in Roy's ear. Uh, Tiger Woods, if not in Jay Monahan, Tyler Dennis, or Ron Price's ear as well, uh, to make sure that his voice is heard on this and that he's at least comfortable with a definitive free, uh, d- definitive agreement eventually look like you don't you don't you do not keep out the biggest asset the pga tour has from these discussions even if it's not in an official capacity is that fair to say uh no he'll be part of the conversation absolutely and i would i would say there'll be a handful of players either on the policy board or not on the policy board that'll be a part of this and i mean there's a bunch of reasons why i think you're touching on the obvious one which he he should be and, and can be and probably will be the voice of the PGA tour moving forward on things like this. However, there's, there's another fact tiger has financial interest involved here on a number of fronts. One tomorrow golf. I mean, uh, tomorrow sports, which is sort of the maker of the TGL league that tiger is heavily invested in. That's part of these for-profit assets that are going to go into the, the big pool of money. That's going to make Nuco. So he has interest in this. The, the tour's retirement plan is not, but certainly the other investments of the tour that could impact the retirement plan is. So yes, Tiger's got a lot of interest beyond just the obvious competitive uh, landscape. And Rex, what do you think? Uh, Live Golf played another tournament last week. Uh, Valderrama, Taylor Gooch became the first three-time winner of a season, beat Bryce Nishambo, who I actually thought played uh, quite well at one of uh, Europe's most iconic venues, one of the Europe's most uh, difficult golf courses as well. I think uh, Bryson actually could surprise some folks uh, in two weeks' time at the Open Championship. But what we heard and what was reported from uh, our buddy Alex Maselli at Sports Illustrated, said Yasser Elramayan, governor of the PIF, uh, sat job. down with, thank you very much, I'm no, I'm no Tilu, uh, sat down with, with yeah. Bryson, uh, with Brooks, with DJ, and with Phil, and, brace, and basically stressed that nothing's changing and they are all systems go full steam ahead for 2024. That obviously runs counter to the PGA Tour talking points 
uh, which have stressed that the PGA Tour is going to have full control uh, according to the framework agreement. Uh, Jay Monahan, commissioner of the PGA Tour, uh, will do an empirical review by the end of the year of live and can decide its future, whether it continues on as kind of this parallel asset, whether it folds or whether it's incorporated that team structure into the PGA Tour schedule. What's going on here? Because those, those are wildly different viewpoints of what is essentially the same framework agreement. I'm going to pull back the, the curtain a little bit more here just to let everyone in on the inside joke. Uh, Todd Lewis, our colleague, our beloved colleague, who, who we absolutely cherish. We love being around him. However, during a hit during the U.S. Open, he tried to say the governor's name and, and completely just glanced over it and said it as fastly as possible and, and lost so much confidence. Uh, and so that's what we were referring to there. And his look, excellency. Tilu just, just used his excellency. Well, no, no. And, and to be fair, and I even told Tilu afterwards because he knew he knew immediately. But like, as soon as the camera went off, like, oh, no, man. no, oh, God, terrible. No, <laughs> didn't, didn't do that. And, and trying to make him feel better, I go, that's why I don't even try. And I have spoken with a lot of people over at Live Golf, asking them, begging them, like, please help me with this. Am I saying it right? And I always get the, yeah, 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 it's fine. And I don't feel comfortable with it. So me, talking about leaking confidence, I always run screaming to the governor of the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia. And it comes out like a clunk of bricks because it always interrupts a thought. It always stops like right in the middle of a sentence. And then I have to pick up because I'm not going to mess it up. I can't refer to him as Yasser. Like that's not going to happen. No, that's like like Kobe, LeBron, Brady. Yes. Rory so, Tiger. So in, in Tilu's defense, he gave it a shot and just fell flat on his face. Me, on the other hand, I'm not even willing. To I just crushed shot. it. Crushed it. Didn't uh, even think about it. Yeah. It's, you seem to have done all right. I'm, again, I'm not like nature. sure how to do it. Uh, it does not run completely counter to what we know to get to your question. I think what you need to go to is in the agreement. It talks about the, the concept of team golf and how it will be applied. It never mentions Live Golf. Now, Live Golf is one of those for-profit assets that's going to go into that big bucket, as I just mentioned. However, Live Golf can live on in its own, as its own entity within that bucket, within Nuco, let's, let's call it, since we haven't come up with a cooler name, and I think that's the coolest name ever. I think what you're going to end up with, it, there is a possible universe where Live Golf stands on its own and is its own entity, and the PGA Tour just incorporates an element that, Imagine a scenario where you had four times a year teams of PGA Tour players playing against teams of Live Golf players or something along those lines. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. But Jay Monahan is the one who's deciding it. He will have a say in the voice. I don't think saying he's the one that has will decide it is correct at all. I mean, I think if you look up the makeup of it's the signing off committee, on the recommendation by Jay Monahan, that's the. That's I think the if you look at the executive committee, I think they'll they'll have a lot of say in exactly like look. The PIF, the governor of the PIF, will have a minority stake in whatever new co is. That's not to say that the governor of the PIF still doesn't want Liv Goff to continue. I think that would be a mischaracterization. The writing on the wall and what it looks like right now, I would agree with your assessment that it looks as though Jay Monahan will have the ultimate say if Liv Goff lives or dies at this point. But again, where the money is coming from and how they want to create this new co. I think you would probably have to look at it as a pie. And each one of those pieces of the pie can operate independent of the others. Hmm. That's a very interesting point. It just, it seems at this point, and I, I think you have to characterize Live Golf's future as uncertain. I wouldn't yeah, characterize it fair. as dire. I wouldn't, dis- I wouldn't sure. characterize it as encouraging. I would, con- I would characterize it as uncertain. And you, 
you, you could make the case that what Yasser El Ramayan is doing is essentially reassuring his employees to not freak out, to not want to jump ship, uh, to kind of stay the course until more gets, gets figured out over these next four or five months. Two points that I think adhere to this. One in the agreement, uh, the framework agreement. Within that agreement, one of the few things that was pointed out is that there'll be no more recruitment of players between any of the entities. So on that front, you would just assume that, okay, the 48 that Live Golf has right now is the 48 you have to ride with. And if that's particularly the case, then yes, I would say that it doesn't look great for Live Golf going forward because you're going to end up having players. I mean, Lee Westwood is not going to play for another 10 years. And so you're going to have to replace them eventually. The other half of that element is many of the players who went to Live Golf have contracts that were between three and five years long. And those contracts haven't been paid out in full. And so at this point, Liv Goff, the PIF, the governor of the PIF, probably is just appeasing those quote-unquote business partners because those guys want to get paid one way or the other. If this ends up being deep sixth after this year, they still want to get whatever that number was that they had on their contract. It is interesting to me, if you want to talk about what the future might look like, one, Greg Norman has still not talked to the players. So that, to me, sends a single. Number two, nearly a month went by between the announcement of the framework agreement and anyone from the PIF sitting down with the players and trying to explain to him what this means to them. That, to me, is the part I would look at and be like, that's not great. Uh, I would tend to agree with you. Hopefully, we get more answers. Uh, Not optimistic that we will. Hopefully, we get more answers here in the coming weeks of what this definitive agreement will look like. Rex, on last week's podcast, a little bit of heat. A little bit of heat when Ooh, we ranked uh, our did. bar, our, our we did not rank anything. Nope, 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 holidays. nope. We no, didn't I did. anything. I yep. did. Yep, that was. I think that was a deceptive headline uh, on the part of our editor. I I took the heat quite literally uh, while ranking our favorite barbecue headlines. I barely put the Fourth of July in my top five, Rex, because you know why? For the sole reason that it is too hot. And Rex, let me show you a picture. I know this is a, a I knew this an, an audio medium. Back. Here's a picture of what it looked like That's when fantastic. I was grilling. That is so good. The feels like temperature Rex in Eatonton, Georgia, what in the sun was 128 degrees. Now, 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 tell me, why are you grilling that, in the sun? Is that ideal conditions? Why are you grilling to, in the to sun? be grilling out for your friends and family? Don't grill in the is sun. Is that is that enjoyable, or would you rather go for Labor Day when you can grill out, you can watch football, or what about a what about a Thanksgiving? So you're you're going to double Christmas down. Eve? Or what about an Easter? Yes, I'm, you're, you're, I'm doubling down. And keep in mind, these are this is this was a personal, a personal ranking. I I I no longer live in the Northeast. You live for a time in the Pacific Northwest. I'm sure it is wonderful, July Fourth barbecues. But for me personally, because of the heat, because of the humidity, because of the 128 uh, feels like temperature. No, I would not put uh, July Fourth barely inside my top five of barbecue holidays. I feel validated. I feel seen. Um, I feel like I made the, the correct call because I, I, I wasn't just, I wasn't just seasoning just those hamburgers curling. with, with, with salt and pepper and garlic powder. I'll season Correct. them with sweat too. Just, right. just pouring sweat right over the flames. Uh, you probably need to try to clean all this up at the very end of every one of those sentences you're throwing out with it. And thank you for your service. Cause that that'll help a little bit. And the other one is, this is what I sent you yesterday. So, Smash Burgers on the Blackstone. Smash Burgers on the Blackstone, yep. With, you see what's in the background. You see the pool. 
So yesterday I was on that porch all day long making Smash Folks, Burgers. Folks, newsflash: Rex Hoggard is rich. He owns a pool, know. and he want and he wants and he wants you to know about it. No, that's not it. I own a very, very old house with a very, very old pool. It's going to cost me a fortune to resurface it. If anyone out there can help me with that, please let me know. However, you can – I'm not in the sun, so it's not 128 degrees in the sun. I get in the pool, and then I get back out of the pool, and I have fans, and it's absolutely lovely. I spent all day on that porch yesterday watching baseball. My Orioles lost to the Yankees, which I did not like. But grilling in the pool, watching baseball, enjoying time with my family – I'm Some of us saying. don't have a pool. Some of us have to use a community pool, which is filled with urine. Because <laughs> you got yeah. five-year-olds just, just defecating in there and, and urinating in there. And that's, that's our pool, Rex. And you can't bring a grill to a, a community pool. I have 18-year-olds that are probably doing the same thing, which is just as gross. And I did want to say, I kind of chuckled at this early Human in the soup. podcast. Human soup. Uh, I did want to say this early in the podcast, but you were on one of your thoughts, and I didn't want to interrupt it. You look like you're wearing the 4th of July. It looks like you haven't shaved since the last day we left the U.S. Open, which was two weeks ago. Your hair is a mess. You sound like you spent all day long just chugging down the 4th of July. So it seems as though you enjoyed yourself on the holiday. Uh, I had a great holiday. We were up at Reynolds Lake Coney, as we do every single year. Played some very bad golf. Uh, We went on the boat. We went to Jurassic World, which my four-year-old absolutely loved. In Atlanta, went to a Braves game. That may have been the hottest I've ever been, Rex. We had fantastic seats. Shout out Brian Harris uh, for the hookup with the seats there. We're in the sixth row. Oh, we were absolutely wow. roasting uh, in the sun. Uh, that was not particularly enjoyable. No, we had, a, we had a great holiday. I'm talking strictly about the barbecue aspect of July 4th. For me personally, living in the southeast, no, barely, barely cracks the top five, if at all. Our, oh, wow. we're, we're Look, I think what did, what did Bill really Belichick said? We're on to – we're on to Cincinnati, we're on to Cleveland, yeah. whatever his famous lot. We're on, we're on to Labor Day. Just we're, on to, we're on to Labor Day at this point. Uh, I enjoy Labor Day. I enjoy Veterans Day. I think uh, you can kind of go through a list and decide which is best. However, I, I just think if you were smarter, you would enjoy the 4th of July a little bit more. How so? Again, don't stand in the, shit. Don't stand in the sun. I know it's 128 degrees, just in the sun. Don't stand How am I going to grill? Look, my biggest problem with the holiday is the fireworks destroy my dogs for two days. Like Tito is in the corner right now of my office. Yes, PTSD, just staring at the sky, has no idea. He keeps flinching. Like he's had a really, really tough go. Uh, I got to give my kids credit. There was fireworks last night at at 9.05. I was in bed at 7.35. It was a a big holiday weekend. Uh, In bed at 7.35, woke up to the sound of of basically Normandy going on right outside the door, uh, right outside the windows. Uh, those kids did not wake up or power to them. They were, they were also deep in slumber. Uh, Rex, you're leaving on Sunday for the Scottish Open Open Championship double. I will join you a week later. You have four days uh, to still enjoy some medium rare steaks as opposed to gray uh, and well done. What are you going to be eating and firing up uh, before you set sail for your fortnight? I kind of went through the freezer yesterday, and so we had some wings, which I made yesterday, and we had, like, I, I think I've told you this before. So when I get a pork butt from Costco, like, they're, they're massive. We're never yeah. going to eat all that. So I split them in half and then freeze the other half. I, I didn't even know. It was, like, Christmas in July. So I found half a pork butt. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cook that today. I can't wait. What, do you use a vac seal? Yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't own it. Uh, my neighbor does. So I, have, I go over to his house. Wow. Folks, he has a pool but does not have his own vac sealer. Shout out to Danny. Thank you, Danny. That is a truly tough scene. Uh, I speak of finding things in the freezer. I found beef cheeks. Uh, I'm not sure if you ever had those before. I'm going to no. thaw those out, smoke them. Uh, I believe it's 
I think it's like, I think you could put them in tacos. I don't know. I found them. I was intrigued. I think I got those at Costco as well, but I was, I was intrigued by them, uh, threw them in the basket. Uh, and now I'll, I'll spend the rest of the afternoon on YouTube uh, seeing exactly uh, how to cook those, uh, but I'm sure they'll be delicious. Uh, and then I will join you in a week's time. So next week's podcast will be live from Scotland. Renaissance Club, I believe, is where the Genesis Scottish Open uh, will once okay. again be played, a co-sanctioned event uh, on the PGA Tour. Always a great time. Rex is going to be staying across the street from my favorite golf course on the planet. Yes, even ahead of Palmetto, North Barrack. He'll be bringing his Ooh, sticks. That'll that be a tough. great time. He will not have his new Titleist clubs in the bag. Uh, sad to say, uh, but I will uh, when I bring them across Aww. the ponds. We'll be reporting live, at least Rex will, from Scotland next week. We'll have a recap of the U.S. Women's Open, uh, the John Deere Classic, Live London, anything else that comes up from the range at Renaissance Club. We'll bring it to you next week. Time difference and all. All right. That's going to do it for this edition Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lav. We'll be back next week. Hopefully, my meds will be kicking in. I will not be coughing on this podcast any longer. Jeez. Shout out to Catherine on Doctor on Demand. Shout out, Danny. Danny.